Now today we join the people in the city of Philippi as they heard Paul and Silas' preaching, but also as they witnessed Paul and Silas drive out a demon, get sent to prison, and then get freed. And we join these people, and I think when we read a text like this, at least if you're like me, reading this text this week, spending time in this story, my first thought is, oh, the people we're most similar to are the, the jailer, right? The jailer and his household, they received the word of the Lord. Or, oh, we're most similar to Paul and Silas, right? These, these Christian figures who we, we know we're familiar with, they're preaching the word, like, isn't, isn't that us? And I think that can be my first instinct. I think that can be our first instinct is to associate ourselves with kind of the heroes in the story, the people who seem like the most Christian, the good people, the people we want to imitate. And we think, oh, they're the example to follow, right? And there's truth in that for sure. I think it ends up making us feel like, oh, we just need to try harder to be good people. But I think it also constructs a wall between us and the text. I think it calluses our hearts from really being convicted by the text. And I think we end up reading right over people in the story, like the slave owners. The slave owners, they only have a couple lines. They're not key figures in this text, but we read right past them. But I think we're the most similar to them. Again, this text takes place in Philippi. And Philippi was a major Roman colony, a big city to the Roman Empire. And we saw this, uh, this map last week as we kind of looked at Paul's missionary journey, right? His second missionary journey that started over there in Antioch, uh, having traveled from Jerusalem. And then they start making their way up this kind of line, the top of the map. They go through Asia. The Spirit of God keeps them from stopping uh, in the province of Asia or Mycenae. And they keep going and they end up in Philippi, which is probably the most important city in Macedonia. And the text actually says that uh, in a few verses prior to what we read today. And that's where they are today. They're in Rome, uh, in the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire at this point was large. It was the, you know, the most powerful empire up to this point in history. And so they have all this territory. Everything in, in red is occupied by Rome. Obviously, you have most of Europe there. And this is, this is probably 100 years uh, forward because we have Britain there too. Uh, but that's another history lesson. Um, but the idea here is that they're in this Roman colony, Philippi. And you see, the, emperor, uh, the empire of Rome, well, it, it had Roman ideals. It had a Roman culture. And Philippi was founded on those ideals. Ancient Rome was much like modern-day America. And the Roman Empire, there's nothing illegal at this point in time about Christianity. Paul and Silas were within their rights to go and preach the gospel, to share this news, to sit on the streets and, and yell about Jesus. They had every right to do that. <coughs> Just like we do in America. You have every right to talk to people about Jesus. But in Rome, if you started kind of talking about your beliefs in such a way that it got in the way of society's beliefs, if it got in the way of other people's beliefs, their personal freedoms, it's no longer okay. Christianity was legal as long as it didn't get in the way of anyone else's beliefs and as long as it didn't interfere with the Roman cultural narrative that Rome was the greatest. And we have similar cultural narratives in America today. Phrases like, make America great again. Many of you guys heard that one four years ago or five, six years ago now, I guess. Um, another one, maybe more recent, less polarizing, build back better. 
right? Build back better. We're going to pour tons of money into making our country great. And we hear these slogans, and this is America's ideal too. You can believe and do and practice whatever you want. It's totally fine. You have the freedom and the rights to do that, whether it's uh, religiously, whether it's politically, whether it's sexually. You may express yourself any way you please, as long as it doesn't step on my toes, as long as it doesn't make me feel uncomfortable, as long as it doesn't disrupt my way of life. And that's how we think. These beliefs are deeply ingrained within us. They're deeply held and we hold them in a clenched fist. You cannot take this from me. You cannot tell me what to believe religiously, politically, or sexually. And I think just like the owners, quote unquote owners of this slave girl, as soon as their personal rights or their property, as soon as that was threatened by the message about Jesus, They were angry. As soon as their desire for comfortability, success, control, as soon as these quote unquote rights were threatened, they bucked against it. And I think we do the same thing. Put it another way, when the kingdom of God starts interfering with our personal kingdoms, those parts of our lives that we want to have influence and control over, when the kingdom of God starts interfering with our personal kingdoms, we start to reject it. But we don't say we're rejecting it. We don't say we're, we're saying no to God. We don't even acknowledge that we're rejecting it. Rather, what we do is we shoot the messenger. We blame the people who might be trying to speak truth to us, speak truth into our lives. And sometimes we blame church culture. Sometimes we say we feel pressured and we don't want to feel shame or guilt about things. We don't want to be manipulated. And I think that's a fair desire. I don't want to be manipulated. I hate the feeling of being manipulated. I have a a lot of baggage myself about that idea. But I think any challenge to our personal kingdoms becomes toxic in our minds. And we end up trying to manipulate God instead. We beat and kill his prophets in our hearts. We build calloused walls against outside influence to protect our kingdom. Does that sound familiar? We challenge outside influences. We sing to the tune of build Benjamin back better. Make Benjamin great again. And we cultivate our personal kingdoms and we build a wall between the word of God and ourselves. The word I want to focus on this morning is allegiance. And the definition of allegiance is loyalty or commitment of a subordinate to a superior or of an individual to a group or cause. And if we're honest with ourselves, we hate definitions like this. (laughs) At least I do. And when I was a teenager, I had an acronym I used with my parents. It was IDWIW. Y'all know what that stands for? I do what I want. Sarah, you had the same one, didn't you? (laughs) That's right, my homie. Uh, Now, in the core of our being, we want to do what we want to do. We don't want to be subordinate to anyone or anything. This is exactly how the slave owners in this story felt. They didn't want their desires, their plans, their wealth to be subordinate to the kingdom of God. It's fine. And for you to think that way, but if you're going to start, if that's going to influence me, 
My way of life? No, thank you. And it's funny that the person that they think is subordinate to them, this slave girl, turns out to flip the script. She doesn't say that they're the most high masters. She says that there's a most high God and that they aren't paying attention to him. And they basically try to shoot the messenger. They blame Paul and Silas and they get them, they bring them before the judges, the magistrates, and they get them thrown in prison. And they argue that this so-called gospel is advocating customs that are unacceptable for them given their Roman practices, given their way of life. And for me, this idea of being subordinate to a superior, man, that's something I've never liked. And I don't know if it's because I'm, I'm really competitive, I have a competitive spirit within me, or if it's just my pride. It's probably the latter. But I think just this past week, Malina and I were having a really emotional day. Some things just in our family. And we're having this emotional day and we're both feeling a lot. And, and Melina asked my advice on a ministry situation. And, and I was rude to her. I basically said to her, baby, I just can't deal with this right now. I just need a moment. I need to breathe. I need to just quiet my mind. I can't deal with this right now. And how awful it is to say something like that to your wife, to your partner. And saying, I just can't deal with this right now. It was a hard and emotional day, sure. But at that moment, what it exposed was a heart that doesn't want to be subordinate. That doesn't want to submit to someone else's needs or desires. Or what's best for someone else that thinks of itself first. And I unwittingly shot the messenger, which was my wife. I did the same thing that the men in this story did to Paul and Silas. And like the magistrates too, I tried not to deal with this problem. They thought they could throw Paul and Silas in the jail, have them beaten, throw them in jail, ignore them. And then even when they get freed and they're like proven to be in the right, they just thought they could get away with it quietly. If you keep reading the story, they think they can get away with it. They can't. They tried not to deal with this problem. I said, baby, I just can't deal with this right now. We try to avoid the parts of our lives where the kingdom of God is pressing in to change us. Do we not do the same thing? When the kingdom of God comes into our midst, when it starts pressing on bits of our lives that we've been guarding, don't we say, I can't deal with this right now? Don't we end up hurting our brothers and sisters who are trying to hold us accountable when we ignore them or kind of brush off their advice and encouragement? I have a question for you this morning. How do you protect your own privilege? What these slave owners were doing, they're trying to protect their own privilege by saying that you're stepping on my rights. Rights that were never theirs. They don't own this girl. This girl is a daughter of the Most High God. Even the demon inside of her knows that. How have you been trying to protect your own privilege? In what ways have you distanced yourself from the kingdom of God and his work in order to protect your own endeavors? One of the most infamous, infamous examples of quote-unquote Christian Americans protecting their own privilege is what's known as the slave Bible. This is a real picture of a Bible that is in, or it's, not a, it's not a Bible. I say quote-unquote Bible, but a, a quote-unquote Bible that is in a museum in Washington, D.C. And there's many copies of this. 
And this is a quote-unquote slave Bible. Parts of the Holy Bible selected for quote-unquote Negro slaves. And what the, the slave Bible was, was excerpts of the Holy Bible taken and compiled together and given to slaves by white slave owners. But this slave Bible was missing 90% of the Old Testament and about 50% of the New Testament. Any passage that could even potentially inspire or encourage freedom, liberation, or rebellion was removed. Talk about protecting your own privileges and adulterating the word of God, taking out one of the greatest themes in the entire Bible and most prominent, right? Freedom, liberation from bondage. But when it starts infringing on what you think is your right, that's actually not your right at all. We ignore it and we strip it of its power. One of the most infamous examples of so-called Christians in American history. Wow. And I ask, are we challenging our own comfortability or are we protecting our privilege? Does the kingdom of God challenge your comfortability or does it protect your privilege? It doesn't do the latter. And which are we more familiar with? Are we more familiar with letting God challenge our comfortability so we can change and grow and become like Jesus? Or do we protect our privilege? And the litmus test for this is where do we store our treasure? Where do we store our treasure? Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a verse that's worth all of our memorization. Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because if our treasure is improperly stored, if it is improperly placed, we will discover that there is an issue with our allegiance to Jesus as well. We must take a sober look at how and where we store our treasure and how we protect our privilege. I have a couple questions for you guys this week. Don't, don't raise your hand. Dang, Bruce, all three? No. Uh, did you feel... At some point this week, did you feel that you should spend time with the Lord in prayer and scripture, but rather you chose to push it off, to keep scrolling on your phone, or to get right to your workday? Did you prioritize protecting your privileges, your kingdom, before your time with the Lord? Did you feel the Lord nudging you to spend time with Christ's body, to give of yourself to others, but rather keep yourself comfortable and protect your comfortability instead. Protect your time, the things that you wanted to do. Do you think about ways your money can be used, your resources can be used for God's kingdom, but kind of hush those, those thoughts and then go on a shopping spree or go spend money at Starbucks? Do we silence the Spirit's urgings inside of us in favor of protecting our own privileges, our own desires. I ask, where is your treasure? Where does your life display your treasure being kept? What are your priorities? And if any of these questions or any others that you might conjure up, if they cut to your heart, your treasure might be misplaced. If you feel convicted or exposed, your treasure might be misplaced. You might be protecting your own privilege. But if they don't, if they don't cut to your heart, if you don't feel exposed, if you don't feel convicted, 
your heart just might be calloused over. You just might have a wall that you've built between you and the heart of God. And you just might be ready to shoot the messenger. The thing is, God won't knock down that wall. If your heart's calloused, God's not going to tear it open. He'll provide an invitation for you to investigate that. The kingdom will come into your midst, but he's not going to force it into your heart. That wouldn't be a loving God that respects your freedom and has created you in his likeness. That would be a manipulative God, but God is not like that. We are like that. God will invite you to let him change you. And if in hearing all of this, if you're like me and, and you feel overwhelmed or guilty or feel like it's impossible to live up to the Jesus standard, well, we might find ourselves in the shoes of the jailer. We might just find ourselves on the wrong side of the spiritual battle, ready to self-impale, ready to give up. And if that's where you're at this morning, know that that's okay because people have been there before. But your brothers and sisters are here ready to speak to you and say, wait, don't harm yourself. Don't give up. The kingdom of God is here and it's for you too. And Paul and Silas come and they go on to say, well, where does salvation come from? Where does our treasure ultimately belong? Where will we be profoundly and perfectly safe? In the person of Jesus Christ. The one who became poor to make many rich. The one who emptied himself of all his privileges and took the very nature of a slave. The one who put on the chains of bondage, who took the beatings and the lashes, who was tied up so that you and I might have a chance at new life. That we might reach out and perhaps find him and realize that he is our ultimate treasure. He is our heart's desire. He is the one who loves us unconditionally, despite where we've been despite where we are. We don't need to gather up our wealth, our influence, our power. We don't need to build walls. We have Jesus. And according to the slave girl, this most high God, the one who has made himself low and suffered for our shame, he is the way to salvation, the only way. And Paul and Silas says, it is allegiance to him that brings salvation. Another way of translating verse 31, and maybe a better way, is that they replied, give your allegiance to the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. In the original language, that word is pistis and it can be translated to belief or faith. But it doesn't mean like a cognitive mental agreement or assent to a truth. It means giving your life to a cause. Your allegiance. And so Paul and Silas say, give your allegiance to the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. This promise is for everyone. And I think the imprisonment of Paul and Silas, the violent earthquake, these things didn't happen for the sake of Paul and Silas's freedom of choice and comfortability. Like God didn't free them by this miracle so that they could be comfortable, right? If that were the case, they would. You think they're staying in their cells? No, thank you. They were not freed to protect their own privilege and honor. Ultimately, it would cost them their lives. This earthquake came so that the jailer and his family might pledge their allegiance to the great cause of Christ. The cause of spiritual freedom. The only way to true and full salvation. One that does not cut out parts of the Bible 
that don't fit your, your ideals, that don't fit your schedule. A true allegiance. And I have three practices for us this week to embody this text. Number one is pledge allegiance. If you haven't yet, commit your life to following Jesus as his disciple, as the jailer and his family did. But if you have, take a moment this week to remember and reflect on that day when Jesus washed your sins away. Remember what you gave yourself to, the cause of Christ. Practice number two, treasure Jesus. Make him your daily and weekly priority. Make him your daily and weekly priority in your schedule. Do this in concrete ways, like how you start and end your day, your rhythms throughout the week of how you gather with your brothers and sisters, who your, spiritually, your spiritual family is, how you spend your money. And the third practice is the discipline of submission. The discipline of submission. Richard Foster writes, Submission is the spiritual discipline that frees us from the everlasting burden of always needing to get our own way. Submission is the spiritual discipline that frees us from the everlasting burden of always needing to get our own way. Submitting to others, whether it be in simply what activity they want to do rather than what you want to do, or with how they think you should spend your time, or uh, what you wish to do in your free time, these disciplines, these concrete practices of denying self actually free us. They free us so that we can become like Jesus. And Paul and Silas did this when their chains came loose in the earthquake. They didn't run, but they submitted themselves to the jailer. And God blessed it. And so let us be a people who give to Jesus our allegiance. Let us treasure him with our whole selves, our whole lives. And let us submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I believe we'll experience true freedom on the way. Because we have one who has gone before us and freed us from the grave. The chains of sin and death no longer have a hold on us. So let, us, let our allegiance be Christ's. Amen.